Hello there, fellow TV watcher. My name is Bill Brio, and this is Brio TV, the podcast. This episode is brought to you by Super Channel, providing viewers with exceptional value and variety, CTV, which urges you to get into it this fall, and Hollywood Suite, home of the best movies of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Well, uh, listen, I'm very, very happy today to uh, speak with a, a guy I've long admired and uh, been a big fan of his work. You've known him for, I don't know, 18, 19 seasons. He'll he'll confirm uh, on This Hour is 22 Minutes. He's got a brand new TV show coming out based on his book, Son of a Critch. Uh, and he's got a new book, out, An Embarrassment of Critches. Immature stories from my grown-up life. I don't know if you can even get it. It's selling that fast. He'll tell us, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Critch. Mark, great to see you again. Oh, Bill, always great to see you, my friend. Um, and it's, it's true, right, that this book is selling out in uh, stores. In, uh, uh, I think I read on your Instagram, you were telling people, hurry up or look out. Well, yeah, there's been selling out in a couple of stores there, and uh, and uh, and I was just letting some folks because sometimes people go, "Hey, I went through your book's not out." I'm like, "No, no, no, it's there. Go to the other one." And then you become a, a mom to your book, I guess, and you're telling people where your book is and stuff. So, because uh, it's a bit different this time, of course, with uh, our uh, with the COVID and all that stuff. So we haven't been doing the big book signings or the big events. So uh, it's all been virtual. So it's been a little bit of guidance over the old Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, things have changed. Amazon's now the world's biggest bookstore, right? You know, everybody gets their books uh, that way. And uh, this is a lovely book. Congrats. I've uh, enjoyed reading it. I'm not quite finished it. Uh, but uh, it's if people are curious about uh, your route is specifically into show business, comedy, uh, it's all there in this book. And um, was this something that uh, you felt you were able to tackle along with everything else? But because of COVID, did you did you have a little extra time? Was this sort of a project that stemmed from the p- pandemic? Well, no, it was something I had to do kind of going into the pandemic because um, I had the good folks at Penguin Random House, my publisher, they had, you know, they had um, – in our contract, I had to do another book and I was looking forward to it, but pandemic, of course, really at the timing couldn't have been better. You know, that kind of, uh, as I remember talking to my good friend, Alan Doyle, the musician, and we, one day, uh, as this all started to unfold, we both realized that all of our summer gigs kind of were canceled on the same day. And it's like, well, there, the whole summer went, how about you? Yeah. Just gone. So um, it was kind of like, well, okay, well, you know what? This is good. This is a good time for some reflection. Looking back, I have, and I really settled into this, and uh, uh, it was it was kind of some uh, some some comfort and company during those long COVID days. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking back March of 2020, I guess, right? That's when it all seemed to shut down for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and now you're the busiest man in Canada because besides this book, you've got Son of a Critch. You're working with uh, buddies there. We'll get into that later. But let's talk a little bit about some of the chapters in the book um, and the stories. And I love the one um, <laughs> we're talking. And, and, you know, people who will read the book and find out you you started very young. You, you had a bug, an itch to perform. And uh, you did it at the lowest level at the beginning, at a community level. 
and uh, you're traveling, and you've got word that there's a corporate gig that's going to pay you 500 smackers if you just travel north and uh, go to this uh, far-off place in the cold of winter. Uh, you've got a young lad on the way, and man, oh man, 500 bucks is 500 bucks. So tell that story about <laughs> what, what happened when you got to this place to do this co- stand-up comedy gig. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a Christmas party uh, for for this company, you know, up north. And <clears throat> I get there, and all these guys are there. They're saying like, "Well, uh, I, I land this guy. There's nobody to pick me up." And then this guy finally shows up. He said, "Oh, you better be damn funny." And I said, oh, "Okay, why was that? Something bad happened." But the boss better tell you. So we go to the boss's house, and all these big work boots are there, and boss is sitting around going, "You better be damn funny." <laughs> and then other people goes, "Well, I don't think it's funny. I don't think he should be funny." And it's like, yeah, you got no right to be. I'm, what the hell's and, and a a member of a guy they worked with had just passed away, and he passed away from from suicide. He, he right. had taken his life, and they they decided they're going to go ahead with the Christmas event. And but I am staying in the kind of work camp area, and I'm staying in the room they have for uh, company guests, which is attached to the meeting room, which is not only where they're having the a grief counseling session for those people who need it, but it's also where the guy had taken his life. So <laughs> we have to wait for that to end. And then they drive me back over going, I don't know what's so funny about this. I'm like, I, this, I, this is not this specific. And then I, I, I'm not here to make fun of this event. You hired me. So I get there. They put me in this little room. Uh, it's quite evident what has happened in this room. And, uh, and I'm sleeping there. I'm just kind of like pull out cot. And the guy says, there's a dozen bear in a uh, skin magazine in the drawer if you need it. And I'm like, if I need it. <laughs> so anyway, so the next morning they pick me up on snowmobiles and they take me around to all these different sheds. And everybody's saying the same thing. Like, I don't know, man. I, nothing against you. But I don't think there's much funny to be said. So I finally get to the gig. And I'm just like, you know, I'm terrified. And uh, the guy, uh, the the guy says, hang on, hang on. Somebody's here to speak. And the guy's widow comes out and she speaks and says, he would have, he loved these parties. And there's one thing that he would have wanted was for you to have it anyway. And I just, I just, I just, I can't. And she leaves and I'm standing there and this guy goes, leans into me and he says, you better be funny. And I said, oh man. And I look out and people are crying and, and then they're crying. Like the room is crying. You know, that sobbing sound. Right. And the guy leans into me and he says, well, there's a there's a guy in the back. He's got a really old truck. There's an old man. His truck is really old if you need that. And I was like, oh, Jesus, help me. And then they introduce me and then people get to walk. So you hear tisk tisk and they walk out. And then I go out there and I completely bomb and uh, <laughs> are shaking their heads. And I'm going and then I hear myself say, hey, is you know, Jack here? And uh, it's like, oh, you look almost as old as your truck or something. And I start doing jokes about how old it is. And everybody starts to lighten up and they laugh. And then I get them back on board and then I am able to finish my gig. But it was those kind of things where like, man, you are thrown in. And those days, especially in those early days, nobody knows who you are. Nobody really wants one of those shows either. You know, they kind of want to have the dance and the dinner. They don't want the guest speaker. And then you're by yourself. You're alone. And and but it's great because you learn so much in those experiences. You know, it's a fabulous story, and I imagine that's true. That if you're able to survive that, pull your act together and yourself together under those circumstances, you must have finished that show and thought, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this. Right? I mean, that must. Oh yeah, I I walked walked off into the snow that night. And the first time I saw the Northern Lights, and I was like thinking, okay, all right, that's 500 bucks in my pocket. Okay, yeah. now, 
what's next? And, you know, you do these things. It's like the first level of a video, of a video game or something. And you <laughs> realize at those days, too, like I, I was sure not to have a net. Like I never had another uh, a side job or anything like that because I always thought, look, if I have a net, I'm going to fall in the net. I want to actually do this. But it was you stay there and you do those games because you have there's there's no other choice like you had to get that 500 bucks you know and 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 that's great because because you you i mean you know I, you just you, you lose that fear you might still you'll still get nervous and everything right. like that but yeah if you can handle that you can handle anything well hats off to you it it, it just it literally sounds like chuckles bites the dust from the mary tyler moore show like it's that epic a story and uh, <laughs> you know it, it it certainly will be a fodder for a future tv thing for you i'm sure but uh, and sometimes you encounter people in grief, uh, and it, as I'm thinking way back to when I did a bit of stand-up with a buddy of mine, um, strangely, they're actually really looking to laugh, like that they need a little relief mm. sometimes, right? Uh, I don't think that was such a situation, but... <laughs> yeah, but, a bit raw. Yeah, a bit raw is right. Um and, uh, you know, so you're, you're performing, you're doing, uh, and, and you're in this environment, this magic land, uh, your, your home province, where every fourth person is a gifted comedian, and you're, you're growing up with them, and you know Sean Majunder already, and you're, you know, and, what, what, and I guess you just sort of took that for granted, but when you look back, does it seem like a, a kind of a magical convergence of comedy talent? You know, it is funny, you know, uh, it's, it, it's like the Paul Simon lyric, I guess, every generation throws another hero up the pop charts. All these people are there just around you, and you never think that they're going to go on and do stuff. Like, I always think of my friend Alan Doyle, too, the great musician, and yeah. I remember seeing Alan was working at the museum as a guide, and at the night, at night he'd play by himself to about six people at this Rose and Thistle pub doing covers, and I remember sitting there seeing him going like, ah, oh, that guy, that guy is going to be famous one day. And it's the only time I ever had that feeling, you know. And Sean, I mean, Sean was doing stuff already, you know, comedy and stand up and stuff. And so he was, you know, a known entity, but he wasn't, you know, the Sean the Jungle then. Right. Yeah. So, but it was neat because you're, you have your little band of brothers and, and you're, uh, you're, you're pushing forward together and you're, happy for each other's successes, but also a little jealous as you go. And then you're, you, you start to, at a certain point, you're all in it together. And then you start to judge yourself by how well they're doing, you know? Right. And, uh, but, but it was, it is, yeah, it's a magic. It, it was a, it felt like a magical time where there was so much opportunity. And then, and then when we got to 22 minutes, finally, it's myself and Sean and, you know, Gavin Crawford, how talented is he? And, and so it's, it's at the time you think, Oh, I guess this is the way it is. Everybody's this good. And then as you go on, you realize, no, no, that it was just there was something in the water that year. Well, and that is uh, in reading your book, there's this opportunity that opens up. Rick Mercer's decided he's had enough. He's moving on. He's going to do Made in Canada. And there's an empty chair on the desk and you get the heads up. And your dad is advocating hard for this, that you get your ass down there and become part of this show, uh, which is a very funny part of the book throughout. But um you're uh, you find yourself competing against Sean and Gavin uh, for this spot. And uh, this is really a, a few years before you were uh, uh, one of the lead members of the troupe. Um, and then lo and behold, they pick somebody else entirely. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden it was like, 
who's going to get it? And, oh, man, I hope you get it, Sean. I hope you get it, Mark. That's great, buddy. And then Colin Mockery gets it. Nobody right. mentioned him. It's like, wait a minute, what the hell? Yeah. So, so then it's like, oh, oh, well, no, no, hang on. And, but what I did get out of that then was then, then they said, hey, we don't want you to do the show, but would you be interested in coming up and writing? Yeah. And so I was. that was as good a consolation prize as I could ever get. And no kidding. I'll be back with more from Mark Critch in a moment. So are you all ready for Halloween? Well, if by ready, you mean turn out the lights and pretend I'm not home, then yes, I am prepared. Listen, don't be such a Halloween hater. What you need is something to get you into the spirit. You should check out the annual Blood in the Snow Film Festival. It's happening virtually this year as part of your Super Channel subscription. Blood in the Snow Film Festival. This does sound scary. Bill, is this like the time you got a bleeding nose from shoveling the driveway? Uh, Much more dramatic than that. From October 29th through October 31st, Super Channel Fuse curates three nights of frightening features and screen-worthy shorts. All this plus fact-filled intros and Q&As with Canadian filmmakers. So you're saying this is scarier than the toxic fake butter we used to pump onto our popcorn in the olden times? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the same effect, right? Sweating, gut churning. Ah, you bet. On Halloween night, Super Channel's got Funhouse, a film about a reality show where celebrities get eliminated. Not just from the game, but from life. Nah, it happens. It's just like that Sony executive who tried to make himself the host of Jeopardy. Hey now, listen, check out the Blood in the Snow Film Festival, available exclusively on Super Channel Fuse. Get all the details at superchannel.ca, including special live screenings in November for Toronto fans. And we're back with Mark Critch. So you, you start writing for this hour, and they put you on a two-week uh, to start uh, term, I guess. And um, it's uh, Mark Farrell is the showrunner at this point, who uh, people, he worked on Corner Gas. He's written a lot of great Canadian comedy, stand-up comedian, going right back to uh, Ken Finkelman's show uh, as well. And... Um, you get in this writer's room, and there's three other guys, and my goodness, this is like murderer's row of Canadian comedy, isn't it? You're sitting with Tim McAuliffe, not Tim McAuliffe at this point, but uh, Paul Mather, uh, Kevin White, people, I mean, he, Shit's Creek, and uh, Kim Kim's Convenience, for sure. Um, uh, Peter McBain, who went on to be uh, a, a executive producer at 22. Um, what was that like? What did you, you're sitting down, and, you know, you guys immediately – or have to start throwing out ideas for a show that's coming up like a freight train straight at you in a few days. What the yeah, hell is no, that like? There's no, it's kind of like you're in the trenches and people start firing right away. And, and yeah. I, I still have my kit bag, you know? So it's kind of a thing where it's like, and those guys are like, it's like when, do we, when do they start shooting? Bang. And, and so it was, and they were so, experienced already you know they were this is kind of like the movie I, I was like the guy like the new recruit who shows up and and i'm gonna fight for my country yeah kid all you're gonna do is die and see death it's like oh do you want a cigarette i don't smoke you will kid you know and uh it was very much like that these guys are just used to churning this stuff out and uh you know peter and uh paul both were kind of more heads down nice and friendly and wonderful but they're kind of like well Kids got to learn and their head down tippity tappity where Kevin was, uh, you know, kind of like, well, this is, you know, 
this is where you make photocopies and these are where the VHS tapes are stored that you have to look at. And this is where, so he was great. Uh, but yeah, it was very much that. And we used to call the writing, the, the producer's room where you would go in to hear your sketches read by the cast, a humilatorium, because <laughs> I mean, there was only four of us then, right? Right. Plus the cast would write and you'd know if Mary wrote something because she came in, you know, with it and read it and what have you. But uh, for and, one and of Martin, us to write it, at this, me? just I just want, you know, uh, there were four people. But today on, on 22 Minutes, how many writers would there be? I would say there's 12 Amazing. Uh, plus cast. Yeah. So yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. And so we would, you know, be responsible for an awful lot of the show. And um uh, and you'd be sitting there while sketches were read. It was quite obvious it was who it was. It was one of us, right. and it was generally the one with his head down at that moment, you know. <laughs> and, and that was it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was. But that was a great way to learn too, you know. I, I think uh, pressure can be a great motivator, and you, uh, you know, the only way to learn is by failing. I think you know, and going like, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? What's going to work? Okay, this will work. I'll try that. Ooh, that works. Okay, great. I'll try that again. Okay, don't go back to the well too many times and that kind of stuff. And then there was the I remember like writing sketches, and my first week I got a bunch made, and but then watching them in front of the audience. Now this is another level. And some of them don't work. And then you're yeah. thinking, oh, my God, do I have to pay for the wood? What do I do? Like the set they put up, they brought somebody had to carry a, a stove in for that kitchen set. I feel bad. Should I apologize to the guy? I was like, no, no, they suspected the fail. Oh, OK, cool. So it was this wonderment of, of uh, loving it. I can't believe it. This is amazing terrified of, of am I going to fail? But also, I don't want to go away. What happens if this goes away? This is the right. best thing that's happened to me. And I got a young family and geez, I can't let this go by. Yeah. Um, so there was, it was a, a very, I certainly felt very alive in yes, those, uh, that first year. Very yeah. electric moments um, because people have to re- realize, you know, this is, at a, what year are we talking around the turn of the like, 2000? What, what, when you? Yeah, 2003, I think. So, you know, at this point, you can't just uh, go to your uh, phone and type in, uh, you know, yesterday's headlines or, you know, Prime Minister Kretschan, right? You had to literally cut things out of a newspaper still, right? Yeah. I've seen my dad do that. He had scissors and he would cut. Dad was a radio news guy and he would cut stories out, keep folders on people. Um, for his thing. And then if something came up in the news, if the premier said something, go, wait a minute, he didn't say that earlier. Hang on, let me check. Ah, here, I have an article from February. I can quote that. And I, so I learned that. So I started keeping my drawers just overflowing with newspaper clippings and stuff, you know? So I'd be like, and that's the great thing where it was now, if you're writing sketches, you might Google some stuff and get an opinion that way. What are people saying? Right. Whereas in those days, um, you had to have the opinion. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? You had to, yeah. from reading everything and, and becoming immersive, you had to go like, well, no, I don't think he should have said that. And here's why I don't think he should have said that. And so it would, I think it may have set, set, the old way may have set us up, even though there's more information now, I think the old way uh, may have set you up better probably to make a, have an opinion. You couldn't check what was trending on Twitter back then. You know, like it, it was, no. there was a lot to it. What, uh, why do you think, how do you think you had this gift to, because it's not just literally, okay, we, you know, and you were specifically asked, we need 10 or 20 desk jokes, but we also need sketches. Uh, those are two different disciplines. Uh, how did you 
arrive at that point in your life ready to step in and, and do both? Well, I had done sketches with Sketch Troop uh, in, in St. John's, and I had done sketches, uh, uh, political ones, with this company, Rising Tide Theater. We did a, a Rising Tide review every year, and we would do regional sketches, uh, uh, stories about regional headlines as a wrap-up of the year. So you'd make fun of the politicians, and you'd make fun of the current events. So that kind of thing, I, 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 I was kind of used to doing that, using sketch comedy to lampoon something or what have you. As, as far as the uh, other stuff, too, opinion pieces, I mean, I wrote a column for the newspaper, uh, syndicated column back home about current events, and I also did CBC radio, radio morning show commentaries about events. Mm. So I kind of had a real... I was probably better prepared than most to be thrown into that particular job because I was already like mining headlines for, for news stuff. Whereas a lot of people come in, come in, there might be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. I find stand-ups sometimes have a harder time settling into it because they're used to their own voice. Right. They're used to yeah. 40 minutes of material and for two years kind of a thing, you know, at that time you would have your hour and you'd, so they might be like, you know, writing like, People come in and go like, yeah, I got a new 20 minutes I've been working on the last two years. I'm like, okay, great. I need 10 jokes, uh, desk jokes, and four sketches. And also there's a road piece. What do you need to buy? Uh, five. <laughs> and then they go, oh, but I, but I, I was going to work on my stand-up act. I was like, no, 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 no. Look, there's a fire. Here's a hose. I don't know where the water is. Go find some. And then you'd go and you do it. And yeah. you learn not to be precious, too, you know, uh, about stuff. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, writers might say, like, you know, like, ah, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Uh, it just didn't work. Well, yeah, how, I'd like to work on it some more and, and, and maybe come back with it. And it was like, back in those days, it was like, no, nah, this is horrible. This sucks. This one's good, though. And you go, like, okay, great. That one's good. So it was um, a much more of a... A little bit more brutal, I think. Uh, yeah. in, in, but then, you know, we didn't have the internet with all the nasty comments. Right. Uh, but we did have letters. People would write you a letter. And I tell you, you know, you're, you piss somebody off if they looked up where the address for the CBC in Halifax and bought a stamp. You know, <laughs> So I, I was like, oh, give it's me true. the angry letters. I learned yeah. a lot from that stuff. Yeah. Uh, about you know what the buttons were up for people you know so it was uh, it was cer- certainly a, a great way to learn your craft. I've had the good fortune to be out in Halifax and and see some tapings over the years, going way back uh, year two or three when I was at TV Guide, wow. and uh, I think uh, you know uh, Kathy was pregnant. Uh, it was so far yeah. back, but it was. Uh, I, I just thought, oh, my God, this is the greatest job in the world. Like, as, as scary as it would have been, it did seem exhilarating to have to do all this on Monday and Tuesday and watch it rehearse on Thursday and perform on Friday. You know, that's, that's something. So you must be uh, – and now here you are. And is it 18 – what is this, your 19th season or 18th season? Depends. They always, like, look at it from, from uh, like, how many years you're officially on the desk. Right. But I look at it from, I mean, I was doing stuff on here the first year. Yeah. Uh, and then I was featuring Mark Critch, you know. So I, I think 2003 is when I started, really. It was first on here. Yeah, amazing. So uh, that was season 10, I think, or maybe 11. I think it was 10. Yeah. So we're about to hit, uh, this is 29 now, if you yeah. can believe it. So next to Kathy, uh, you're the longest running uh, cast member on, on air, right? Well, 
Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. the I'm the guy I'm the guy in the band who was in the original band. I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> who is normally the drummer. You know, like you go to the Creedence Clearwater or Guess Who, and right. it's always just the drummer. Yeah. I'm the drummer. The, the yeah. Guess Who drummer has the rights to the name Guess Who. I think right, like even Burton Cummings. Yeah. Can't call yeah, himself. Same thing with uh, BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive. The drummer yeah. has the rights to the name, right. which I always think of him as Larry Overdrive. <laughs> I'm Larry Overdrive. <laughs> and I'm here to rock you with my band. Exactly. Wait, what band is it? BTO. Oh, I didn't even know that you were in that. So, uh, yeah, poor guy. Now, here you are. You're back because you've, you've just literally, from what I understand, finished shooting um, this first season of uh, yeah. Son of a Critch. And uh, I see a picture literally today on Instagram of you dressed as Captain Kirk aboard the uh, <laughs> the new uh, spacecraft that I guess Shatner is being shadowed into uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, do, is this still kind of like a, a super kick for you to, to come back into this other job, put on this crazy space suit and start talking in a halting tone like William Shatner? Well, it was amazing. It's like, you know, so you finish 22 and I finished Son of a Critch and, you know, it's Malcolm McDowell is there and it's yeah. a set and the scripts and I'm a showrunner and executive producer. It's all these different things. And then I get on the plane. My, I finish that. Next day, my book is released. So I do some interviews about that. The next day that uh, in Halifax, I flown to Halifax, wrote that night sketches. And then we have the read in the humilitorium. And then the next day, you know, where I'm like, you know, taping these sketches and, and dressed in, as in a spacesuit in front of a live studio audience. And I'm like, well, back at it. And it's, it, it's funny. It's, it's like a whole different set of muscles and skills and all this different stuff. But it, it, it is, you know, second nature, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. headline. Oh, shatter space. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll do that. Might be a little hacky, but I'll do it. And then we find a way to do it. And the guys build a spaceship overnight. And I'm still thinking like, you know, they have the spaceship built and, and I'm in a, uh, Kirk outfit, uh, the, the same thing. They make the Blue Origin outfit, and I'm still thinking about to go. And I had that thought as the camera comes on, like, oh, I hope this works because the guys had to build a spaceship last night, you know? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I feel bad. And it's the same feeling I had the first time uh, yeah. I was on a taping. So, it, but it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And earlier this year, like, I was shooting. Um, Son of a Critch, and uh, I had to leave the set. Malcolm McDowell's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I got to go interview the prime minister. Well, yeah, he's in town. I got to run up and interview the, the prime minister quickly for 22. I'm doing a couple of uh, reports. You're leaving here to go visit your prime minister. <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, I got a hotel room. Make fun of him. But does he, is he waiting for you in the hotel room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before he does the rest of the Your prime minister is waiting for you to go make fun of him. Yeah. What the hell? I can't explain that. <laughs> and then you go and you do that, and then you come back and get dressed like my dad, then I'm acting with Malcolm McDowell again. So it's been a bit madcap, but it's been uh, – wow. it, it is kind of fun. That is incredible. I, I was going to get to Malcolm uh, in a minute. Uh, well, let's – I mean, let's talk about that. So Son of a Critch, and my God, I mean, and this is a project you've done with uh, an old friend, Tim McAuliffe, you've known yeah. for years – and I assume it was through 22 Minutes. Is that the first time you guys collaborated on anything? Yeah, he came in as a writer. And right away, um, he was pitching an idea. And I looked over at him and go, oh, 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 I think we have the same sense of humor. And then when, when Tim was writing on 22, we used to write our sketches Tuesday, Tuesday's writing day. So we would go have a steak dinner, make each other laugh, write stuff down at na on napkins, ideas for sketches that we're talking about. 
And at the end of the night, we divvy up the napkins and then we go home, sleep, wake up early and then type up our sketches. Right. And so that's how we used to do it. And we had and we'd get all this stuff on the show and people would be beating their heads against the wall trying to come up with something. And we would just laugh our way in, into the week. And it was great. So we've always been. And then Tim became executive producer in a year after a time when the show was in a bit of trouble. And then when Tim came in, he really, we were able to get a, a good rating and he was fantastic. He went off then, of course, to write for Fallon and wrote on The Office and Last Man on Earth and all these things. Yeah. And then he suggested to me, hey, your book should be a TV show. And I said, no. And uh, yeah, if he uh, hadn't suggested that, I wouldn't have done it. Really? It, yeah, uh, I had never really thought of it. You know, I uh, thought, oh, well, no, that was nice. But, you know, it's I, I, same thing. Like, I, I didn't think... I was going to write this book now is what I was going to write initially. And then I wrote um, some stuff about growing up and the people at my publisher, they said, you know what? I think your childhood is a whole book. Like that's when you know you're weird. You know, it's like, it's like a publisher is going, no, your childhood is a book. And I'm like, Oh no, I don't think it is. No, it is buddy. Trust me. So, uh, and then your friend is like, yeah, your child is a TV show. No, I think it's fairly normal. No, no, it's you're a freak. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So, uh, it takes others to see these things sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, so Tim, Tim has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. and, and um, you know, um, I, I just, that, that to me is, is fascinating. I, I've met Malcolm McDowell. I've interviewed him once in New York. He was doing that show Mozart in the jungle. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I just I had 20 minutes with him and he told me an hour's worth of amazing stories. You must spend a lot of time between takes just talking to Malcolm McDowell. Oh, my God. We've become very, very close. And yeah. anybody will tell you who knows me is that uh, I'm basically I'm an old man. You know, the people say, like, Mark, you're 80. <laughs> so, like, there is, is not a reference he can't make that I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he did props on Benny, didn't he? You know, like, I'm just so 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 it's great. So we'll sit down, have these wonderful conversations. And it's interesting because we were um, the, the guy who's playing me, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth, is this brilliant young actor. People might know from Haunting of Bly Manor. And he just played Pinocchio opposite Tom Hanks, the new Disney live action Pinocchio. that will be out later in the year. Wow. And um so we had this wonderful, um, wonderful casting company in, in Ireland that we hired to try and find a kid because we're looking in Canada. But I thought we should also look at the UK, too. And uh, saw Benjamin thought this is amazing. But then they also said, you know, you should try Malcolm McDowell. And I thought, no, it, he's he's OK. That's that's adorable. But no, we, we were going to try and find someone if we could. And they're like, no, I talked to his agent. I think this is something he would like. Can I send it to him? And I said, I said, like, yeah, but can we like seriously, though, this is great. But can we send it to some people we might get as well? Like I was thinking, oh, no, no, don't we don't time to waste. And then he read the scripts. He really liked them. He asked for the book. He read the book. He really liked them. He wanted to have a Zoom chat. He said, I really like this, this material, I like this character. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I want to do it wow. in a Zoom call. And then the next thing you know, there he was. And it's like, OK, Malcolm's doing this. And that just, you know, changes everything a bit. And then you're like, okay, we're dealing with this. And then he came and he was absolutely a gem to work with. Performances are amazing. Uh, and uh, there's some great, great TV in there. And it, it, it's just one of these things that you don't plan to happen. It just, it just somehow happened. It's wonderful. I can hardly wait to see it. And, and, and I may be wrong, but I seem to recall in talking to him that or reading about him, that, uh, you know, his big break, I think, was in Lindsay Anderson's If, a movie yeah, that's yeah. about at least from 1969 or 70, way back. And I think he might have been in a cab or a car with his dad approaching the theater. 
And there were people lined up all around the block. And it was sort of the moment he knew his life would change, you know. Mm. And he just filled with stories like that. Um, so it must be just such a besides the fact that he's a great actor, to work with somebody with uh, all of that to share. And yeah, well, he becomes being, a uh, he becomes a guy, and then you're like, you know, he's a, you get to know him. He's Malcolm, right? And and then every now and then you're reminded of who he is. Jay Baruchel, uh, my friend Jay, came in to direct some episodes. And Jay is there, and Jay is saying, well, I need another take. Jay is an incredible director and very efficient. And it's very rare that he asks for another take. But, he's, but something had happened. He said, and Mal's like, why do I do I need to do this? Come on, man. We're fine, aren't we? And Jay's like, no, no, I'd, I'd really like another take. And then uh, Malcolm goes, all right, Stanley. Uh, referencing Kubrick, right? And then everybody is like, <laughs> up a day, like looking at you, like, holy crap, it's a guy from Clockwork Orange, you know? And yeah. it's like every now and then that happens, but it's like, he becomes Malcolm, like, oh, that man in the pajamas is a guy from Clockwork Orange. Oh, my jeans. Oh, my God. So it's like you have a little nerd moment, and then you pretend you're cool. You're like, yeah, yeah, fine, cool, man. And then well, Jay's like, you called me Stanley. Exactly. So it's, uh, it's How could you be yeah. more uh, flattered than to be compared to a Stanley Kubrick? It's like getting elbowed by Gordie Howe to, to, if you're yeah. trying to be a director. Oh, totally. More with Mark in a moment. Freak off. Freak off. It's not the time for hospitality. Freak off. We're more concerned with our mortality. We got a darn good reason, boys. This ain't no tourist season. Freak off. Freak off. Freak off. Remember getting those fall preview issues of TV Guide? They'd be packed with photos, all sorts of information about what the next must-see shows might be. They hope you get into it with their latest offerings, including one already getting a lot of buzz, a remake of The Wonder Years. The old version was all about Kevin and Winnie and growing up in the suburbs back in 1968. The new Wonder Years recast the series with an African-American family, again set in the late 60s, but this time in Montgomery, Alabama. The series stars Dulé Hill, is narrated by Don Cheadle, and features E.J. Williams as 12-year-old Dean. Fred Savage, who played young Kevin in the original, is among the directors and executive producers. Look for the premiere of the new singing competition, Alter Ego, where contestants audition as one of their singing idols. New episodes of that wacky competition show, The Masked Singer, as well as the return of one of my favorite comedies, The Connors. And speaking of returning series, the CTV original Jan, starring singer-songwriter Jan Arden, is back for a third season. Look for the return of both Bob Hart's Abishola and a new season of Canada's most-watched series, The Good Doctor. So get into it on CTV. Son of a critch, we're back. Uh, by the way, Jay Baruchel was a guest on a podcast here a few months ago. What a, a lovely guy. And I've, you know, written about him over the years, but he's blurbed your book here. We're talking about an advancement <laughs> of critches. And he says, Mark Critch and his writing are gifts of authenticity. They are important and vital. Critch is one of the good guys and his books are good books. So um, where, where did you first meet Jay? What Was there a project that you worked with him on earlier? No, you know, I think I first met Jay at some, you know, thing, like a TIFF thing or a uh, Canadian kind of event, a chicken dinner or something. You know, everybody's in tuxes and suits. And and I kind of think I met him because we're both kind of we're both actually kind of shyer in, in, in real life and both kind of like against the wall kind of thing. Huh. And then we just start talking about everything except 
um, show business and uh, kind of clicked a bit, you know. And and then uh, we would we met at another met up at another thing, and his uh, wonderful wife and her parents are from Newfoundland. We discovered, oh, and oh. then our wives started talking. We started talking, and so we became this kind of casual friendship. But I've always admired his love of all things Canada. And he's one of these people like I am, like, you know, I don't think we always need to pretend the show isn't set in Canada. I don't think we should make shows here with the sole intention that everybody is, well, if we can get this on in the States, wouldn't that be great? You know, it's like be authentic, make the show here. It's okay to be Canadian. And if it works, it's going to work. But if you try too hard, like why, why bother doing it here? Just go to the States is way I love stuff. And he feels the same way. He's not afraid to be Canadian. So when this came up, I thought, I'm going to reach out to Jay. I know he's super busy, but I'm going to be curious if I don't. So I sent him an email, explained what it was. And in the neck, he wrote back, like, yeah, I'm in 100 percent. And we had this great talk and he was there, you know, and and he's been fantastic, Uh, as have all our directors. We've had some incredible directors and and we've been very lucky. Uh, Did you get a chance to see the Moody's? He was at Jay was in with. uh, Yes, on Fox with Jerry D as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Jerry did. It It was very funny on that show. I thought that was a very funny show. I I like everything with Dennis Leary, but I thought that. they had a nice little thing going with that show. It was pretty funny. Uh, when can we see uh, Son of a Critch? Is that, is that going to be early in 2022, Mark? Yeah, January 4th is the first episode. Oh, and, fantastic. Uh, we did thir- yeah, we did 13 of them, and we're editing them now. Uh, my good buddy Alan Doyle is doing the music, along with uh, uh, Newfoundland Secret Rep Weapon, a gentleman by the name of Keith Power. And Keith um, is is you know, one of our buddies from years ago, but he went down to the States and became this – very successful uh, TV and film composer and, and scorer. He's done things like Hawaii Five O, the new one, and all these different shows. So he and Alan Doyle are doing the music together. So we're editing and doing cuts uh, of all this fun stuff now as we speak. And and uh, Lionsgate, uh, our international distributors, so they've been great help. So it's been it's it's all kind of coming together. And uh, so those, some of the Take the Shot guys are involved as well, aren't they? Uh, Take the Shot uh, are uh, producers in Newfoundland. And then Project 10, who you know from Jan Arden and Andrew Barnsley, the producer on Schitt's Creek. Um, it's their baby. It's their, uh, they're the producers of the show. Wow. So Fantastic. Uh, all around, everybody's been great. Yeah, It's a pretty rich stew. That's great. Uh, Mark, I, I, well, before you go, I, I just have a few questions I want to ask just uh, besides all this uh Busy, busy work you're doing, and congratulations. But um, there's one story that you and I talked about, I think, earlier, and I just want to nail this down because I'm trying to remember. And I know that you, like me, you're fascinated by, uh, as with the stories from Malcolm McDowell, getting a lot of inside stories of television in Hollywood. Something about traveling to New York. I don't know if you went to the Tonight Show set at 30 Rock or it was Saturday Night Live, but there was something written on the wall that was like an iconic bit of, uh, trivia, show business, lore. I don't know if it was... Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? You're talking about the Muppet Pipes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah, about well, the Muppet my, Pipes. My good buddy Tim McAuliffe was writing on uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Okay. And being, uh, you know, a thousand years old inside, uh, <laughs> I was walking around. So he's showing me at night, and we're kind of like walking around the halls of, of, of 30 Rock, you know? And this is amazing. We're yeah. popping our head in to the SNL set. We're looking at the Tonight Show set. And I'm like, you know, this used to be 
Um, I think it was uh, 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 the first host. It's Jack Pars, Pars right? Uh, Jack Pars Studio. This one, and so he's right. like, "What are you talking about?" And like Jack Parr, man, you know Jack Parr. And he's like, "Oh yeah, that guy who starred the Tonight Show after Steve Allen." And I'm like, "Yes, yes, yes." Uh, this was his studio, and so if we go out through that door, and I remember from seeing on uh, Letterman one time, he was guesting. Uh, he was a guest on there, and he said, "You know something interesting." Um, if you if you go out uh, through this studio, uh, if you take down here, you take a left, and in here are the pipes that Jim Henson once, while waiting to go on to the night show, he was bored. He and a couple of his guys um, started painting these pipes, and they made them all look like Muppets and put eyes on them and hair and everything. So these pipes look like Muppets. So he's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, hang on. And I'm like going through there kind of drunkenly through the halls of 30 Rock. And I'm like, in here. And we open the door and there are these Muppet pipes. Pretty cool. And, and, and it's, to be able to see those and that, that memory of uh, I earned my nerd cred that day. And if you go now, that was before that. But if you go now, there's glass over them. Okay. And there's, it's Good. all lit up and it's, and it's beautiful. And it's, they, they take it, they tell the story and everything. But uh, yeah, being in that building, was just uh, just just incredible, you know, and for for being a TV nerd backstage, walking around all the stuff, you know, it's just great. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, I've I've had that experience. I haven't seen the Muppet Pipes, but I, I years ago went to a taping at Saturday Night Live. Jim Carrey was hosting. Uh, I was still a TV guide, and uh, uh, just to walk along those halls and corridors and go up the elevator and everything else, it's it's like Lurens if you're in comedy, right? Like it's a, a pilgrimage. Oh. But we went, uh, we've seen, I've been lucky enough to go to a couple of tapings now and a couple of the after parties and stuff. And it is it, uh, just that building, you know, being such a fan of, of all the old stuff, you know, going back to Steve Allen and everything as well. I mean, it's just steeped in that history and it, it's neat. And it's like, you know, it's like I realize that too, like with our show now being on almost 30 years. Yeah. It, it, it's got a similar kind of a thing when you think of the people who've been on the show over the years, when you think of the, the guests and the prime ministers and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, in our new studio today, I was walking, uh, walking around and just going like, oh, yeah, it's just the memories. There's, there's just a lot of memories in the place. And then new people seeing such new cast come in. Yeah. And they're like looking around and kind of like that same look on their face that I had yeah. when I first started, you know, so you just try and you know, show them where the, uh, where, where everything is and, and, and let them soar with it. And then Mark, I read, and this is now Canada's longest running scripted television show, isn't it? Yeah. The only other show that went longer, I believe is uh, front page challenge. Oh, and that went for 35 years. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you're snapping at the heels. I remember when they were winding that up, I was just starting a TV guide and Pierre Burton and Alan Fotheringham they had a meeting at the uh, Royal York Hotel at the, you know, Nova Scotia room or something. And it was to rally the press to, to uh, you know, uh, get get the show back on the air. The damn CBC was threatening to cancel it after 400 wow. years. And, uh, you know, it, this was an outrage, you know, and uh, they were still not ready to leave. So, uh, was, <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that quite vividly. It was kind of fun. I'll be back with more from Mark Critch in a moment. I've come, my dear, for to take my leave I'm going to sail, love, do not weep Going to sail o'er the Spanish shore 
Well, look, it's Emily. Emily from Hollywood Suite. It's so great to see you again. And, you know, it's getting October. It's getting chilly. And you know what time of year this is? It's monster horror chiller time. What do you got for us on Hollywood Suite for this month, Emily? Well, we call October Shocktober at Hollywood Suite, which means we've got a chock full, a coffin full of treats for you uh, on across the decade. So we've got stuff in the 70s, you know, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or How Sue. In the 80s, we have the Friday the 13th, My Bloody Valentine, a good Canadian film, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, 90s, Blair Witch Project, 2000s, All the Screams. Like, we've got something for everybody's taste in October. That's fantastic. Now, that's got to be, that's a full list of horror features. That's got to be it, right? Oh, no, no. We also have an exclusive premiere of a Canadian series called Slasher Flesh and Blood. You may have seen the previous seasons, but this is a whole new story. And there's a very special cast member this time around. Who's that? Uh, A little uh, name, uh, David Cronenberg. Oh, my goodness. Heard of him? Yes. The master of horror, Canada's greatest master horror filmmaker, David Cronenberg. He's part of this series, is he? He is. He's a star of the series, so you can't miss it. And you can watch it starting October 4th at 9 p.m. It's going to be Mondays uh, throughout Shocktober. Well, there it is, folks. The perfect Halloween treat from Hollywood Suite. Find it in all of those places and get ready for Halloween. Thanks a lot, Emily. Thanks, Bill. And we're back with Mark Critch. And uh, tell me quickly, too, do you still have this crazy old jukebox that's loaded with uh, goodies? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have a 1956 Rockola jukebox, which is, you know, arguably the year that rock and roll began. Yes. Which I bought off a guy in St. John's who um, <clears throat> restored jukeboxes. Uh, and so, like, wait, but he started off fixing them. He had a job as a kid going and fixing pinball machines and jukeboxes when, yeah. when they were in need of repair. And as they were becoming you know, the people, it fell out of favor. He, people were calling him saying, Hey, I'm going to junk this jukebox. You want it? And he's like, yes. I went to his house and he had like 40 jukeboxes, but his wife was like, you're getting rid of the jukeboxes. We're in our seventies. I want to go on a cruise. So he sold one to me and it was, um, it's still, it's, yeah, it's in my dining room and, and, and people love it. And as I would travel around different places, I would, you know, find different 45s and bring those home as my souvenir um, from the place. And at Christmas time, I load it all up with Christmas uh, 45s and we have a great time. And, I, and people love, I got a bowl of quarters and everybody comes to the house, has a chat. Is that a jukebox? They go over and then they just start pumping the quarters in. So it's, it's a great thing to have in your house. That is awesome. What is this, the one song you've played more than any other on that jukebox? Oh, it might be uh, Whole Lot Shaken by uh, Jerry Lewis or anything by Little Richard. Nice. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> Halloween's coming up. What's the scariest thing you've ever seen on television? Ooh, uh, I remember being a kid and watching The Night Stalker. Oh, yeah. Darren McGavard. Darren, Darren McGavard. I can't quite remember what it was, but I tell you, I... I I regretted staying up, thinking, like, I don't know what was, something was going on. Mom and dad were at a, a event or something, but yeah. I was like, what the hell? Because, like, I always liked him, because he reminded yeah. me of a bit of dad, kind yeah. of, like, you know, yeah. he had a look of the newsman, kind of a Dabney Coleman kind of vibe, you know? Right. And, but, but he was, 
I remember that. I forget what it was, but boy, oh well, boy, I did he, not sleep that night. He was the dad on a Christmas story, right? You know, it's yeah. Uh, you think of it which is you know a lot like our show in a way because we have narration and set yeah. in the past and awesome. Yeah, uh, you're uh, you've uh, you know as you were telling Malcolm McDowell, you talked to a lot of prime ministers, politicians. Who was the most fun? Is there somebody that stands out that yeah, every time you drew that assignment, you just could hardly wait? Um, I think Kretchen has always been great because you, you never like he was never afraid of it. Like even if he's in a scandal or something, it's like a big thing is happening, and he's always like, "Ah, come on over! I'll, can I? Do you want me to choke you?" And like, "No, Mister Prime Minister, I'll choke you." And it's like, "No, no, it's good, Mister Prime Minister." So it's like you know, that kind of a thing when you're trying to talk the guy out of stuff during right. the interview. That's always a great thing. And you can say anything to him, and he doesn't care. And it's like, at least I'm not you. And like you can say anything. Like so, there's it's a great comfort in that. Like I remember he had had a heart surgery. And I, I gave, brought him a defibrillator and kind of went and gave it to him, bang, against his chest. And he's like, ha, 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 I am in better shape than you. But like, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, you're hitting a prime minister in the chest, chest with paddles and the security's looking on going, oh, oh, that, yeah, he had that coming. It's like, well, no, he was very sick. It's not funny. But it's, uh, it's strange the stuff you get to do every now and then. You're shaking your head, walking away. Go, gee, did I just do that? Why would I do that? He yeah. is a folk hero. I know my, my kids are, uh, you know, near 30 and, to, to them, he's the guy, right? Uh, any prime minister would choke someone, right? Well, uh, I asked him for a blurb, actually, for the book, and he gave me a blurb for the back of the book. I saw that, it was yeah. take, It was taking a while, and I was like, I, I wrote, like, it's up. I'm like, hey, do you have that blurb yet? I mean, it's just a couple of sentences. They're like, oh, he wants to do it. He's just not finished it yet. I'm like, finished it? It's got to be <laughs> two cents? And then he goes, like, no, 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 it's great. And then he... Uh, I finally go like, look, it's a deadline. They're printing the cover like today. So if they, but don't worry. I understand he's very busy and I don't, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have asked. And then they say, no, here it is. We, he's going to finish it now. And they send it. And he had written me a forward. It was like the, the French uh, English uh, mistake. So really? he actually took the time to write a forward for my book, but the book had been printed. And so then I'm like, oh, I've got to tell the prime minister. You see, in English, Canada, when we say a blurb, we right. mean. And anyway, so I was that's the most mortified I've ever been, I think, realizing that uh, a prime minister had written a forward to your book that you couldn't use. Oh my so, God. yeah, that's the, title of your ne- that's the title of your next book. <laughs> I think uh, you got to write that one now. Uh, of course, the, you'll find the blurb on the back jacket of an embarrassment of Critch's immature stories from my grown-up life, available now for Mark Critch. Uh, Mark, indulge me two more questions. Your favorite... Oh, my God, all day. I know, I'm sorry. Your favorite... No, I'll take... No, I mean, I can, I'll, you can have all day. I love talking to Bill Brown. Okay, this is well, cool. this is, only- I'm, I'm having a great time, too. Well, then, three questions. Uh, how much yeah. duct, invisible duct tape do you need to hold up one eyebrow when you're doing Rex Murphy? You how know, do you do it, that? It, it, I've been always able to make the old eyebrows dance. I do not know why or how. I don't know how it developed, but uh, I've been able to do that. But the, uh, yeah, but Rex has changed so much. Rex is one of those people who, in my childhood, Rex would come over to the house because he worked at the same station as my dad, and they would play like John McCormick records on Bust and have a drink kind of a thing. And so he's always been around. Then he was on like the local news doing commentaries and, of course, the national. He's always been around. But now he's always trending on Twitter because he's upset people with what he said. Yes. And uh, every time he has a column, it trends on Twitter. So he's still here. He's still around. I haven't done him on the show in a long time. Uh, But, uh, yeah, no, that's one thing that people always uh, seem to. It's one of those things. It's like you people go like, hey, Chris, Rex Murphy. 
It's like still, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things that stick with you that, that hit people a certain way. It's kind of funny. Well, Rex is still doing his job. He is trending all the time. And uh, it's an interesting character you do. You have a lot of fun with him. Um, uh, your favorite TV show as a youngster, was there a program that you grew up watching with when you were a, a child that uh, you uh, cherish and sticks with you a bit? Oh, well, Wonderful Grand Band was a show that was a precursor to Codco that was done in Newfoundland with the great Greg Malone and Tommy Sexton, who later on, of course, did Codco and SNF Comic Book and these things. And I loved that show when I was a little kid. Uh, they also had a band, which was the Wonderful Grand Band, which was uh, Ron uh, Hines, who wrote Sunday Stream, of course. And so that that show was really, for myself, Rick Mercer, Alan Doyle, I think that show is what made us all want to do what we're doing yeah uh, so that was a huge show outside of that anything that made like the old man laugh like jackie gleason show reruns i would watch or uh um and, and anything you know uh four on the four to frantics when i was in school uh, right. uh i i would watch that uh religiously and um i went, yeah, to, I went a, to a grade school with dan redigan he was a year older but the two of us did puppet shows for a while when we were <sighs> youngsters and things and it was a the Redigan family was quite a clan. It was uh, he was a comedy genius even back then. So uh, it was great to see. Oh, I, I mean, Mister Canoe Head, and I had that yeah. cassette, boot to the head, and I, I yeah. mean, I wore that out. Yeah. yeah. So they were big influences <laughs> as well. In the school, the high school we went to at uh, Michael Power in Toronto, you were supposed to wear a blazer and a tie, and Dan forgot his once. He went to the art room and painted a tie on his shirt. Yeah, yeah. So that was. Uh, Part of the that is cool. It was pretty cool. Uh, and then finally, um, all-time favorite TV theme song. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, and you may have to sing a few bars if you can remember one. There were uh, well, what do we have? We have you know, of course. Uh, well, I would have to go with. Uh, uh, Cancom, of course, because that's what I, I'm all about. The great Alan Thick wrote Growing Pains. Uh, not Growing right. Pains. Um, uh, uh, he wrote Growing Pains, but he also wrote Different Strokes. Different Strokes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what was the one with the uh, the kids in the school? The uh, Yeah. But oh, Facts of Life. Facts, Facts of Life. Of that Life. was Alan Thick yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, he could have done enough just on uh, uh, being a TV theme guy. Got to have him be a guest on 22 Minutes once. We oh, did nice. an episode set in the 80s. Yeah. And I got to uh, share a dressing room bathroom with Alan Thick, And he, I remember he, he came up to me and he said, hey, uh, check out this uh, song, Mark. My son's a musician, Robin. And he played me blur lines on his phone before it had been out. And I was like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, oh, Rob, Alan Thick's son thinks he's going to be a pop star. What the hell is this anyway? And I'm like, oh, Alan Thick is pretty cool. And, I'm like, and then I hear it on the radio. I'm like, oh, my God. It, it, Alan Thick's son is a pop star. He was but, a pop star, uh, yeah. I, I actually had to go in for uh, for some eye surgery once, and the uh, surgeon did a great job, but uh, they had music on in the background, and they were playing blurred lines. They said, is this really appropriate for eye surgery? <laughs> Do you have anything else you can play? That's a true story. Uh, listen, the book, again, An Embarrassment of Critches, why do you say immature stories from my grown-up life? Well, because the first book was all, you know, a, ch a, child, uh, a child growing up. And then this was supposed to be me being grown up. And I'm, as I'm going through the stuff, I'm like, nah, I don't know if you are, buddy. <laughs> you know, it's like you get yourself <laughs> in these situations where you're like, you know, like when I'm going up Signal Hill with my kids, I'm going to introduce them to the prime minister and my 
uh, oldest son Jacob says, "You're not going to embarrass us, are you?" And I'm like, "No, nah, nah, I'm not." Wait, wait a minute, what? Why would I embarrass you? You know, pull some kind of goofy stunt. Goofy stunt. I, I, I'm your father. I work for a living. And then go to, well, I'm going to show him. And then whipping off my shirt behind the prime minister uh, for a picture. Yeah. And, and it's like, and it goes all around. Everybody takes a photo and, and, it, and it goes, goes this viral thing with the photo. And, I, and I'm thinking people are like, why did you plan to uh, do that? And what were you trying to say in that moment? I'm like, I was, I was trying to embarrass my son. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't realize it. laughs> well, maybe I, that's what we're here for, Mark, is to embarrass our kids, right? Right. Come on. Nothing wrong with that. Listen, uh, and you have two lovely lads, and uh, uh, congrats too. Uh, second, uh, your your wife uh, that you're you're pretty much a newlywed in many ways. That's a, you yeah. must feel feel this is a wonderful time for you. Like uh, hard not to be very happy for you because professionally and personally, my goodness, it all seems to be rolling in the same direction. So. It's Congrats. a good time. You know, it's interesting because I'm always like, I, <laughs> you'd always be like, you know, oh, is this it? You know, is this, is it going to end? And then like, I, sometimes I'll have a good year. You know, like I remember when myself and Tim, we wrote a show for the Muppets and we wrote a show for John Oliver and we wrote a show for Bill Hader at Just for Laughs and we we're doing other stuff. We're doing 22. And I was thinking, oh, this is probably going to be the best year of my career. And then we did, I uh, did the movie Grand Seduction with Brandon Gleason and Gordon Pinson. I'm like, oh, this is probably going to be the best year. I'm going to savor this. And now this year with the, the Son of a Crit show and everything, it's, it's been really good. And so I'm finally starting to uh, stop worrying a little bit about the future and then realize like, okay, you know, as long as I write and do stuff that I find interesting and stay true to myself and yeah. do the kind of work I want to do. I'll have some kind of a, a, a living and, and, and be able to do it. So I started to uh, enjoy it a bit more and, 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 and not worry about things as much as you learn to do when you're so you're, you're struggling so much early on that never really goes away. So I'm finally starting to uh, uh, take some time to really enjoy it as it happens. So no, it's yeah. been a great year. Enjoy all your success, Mark. Congratulations. Very happy for you. Please, again, people, buy an embarrassment of critches. Great Christmas present. Uh, look forward to Son of a Critch coming to CBC uh, on January the 4th, I believe, 2020. Yeah. And uh, every Tuesday night, this hour has 22 minutes in its, what is it, 29th season? What did we say? 29th year, buddy. Wow. Better believe it. Congrats. Go for uh, Kathy's record, Mark. And uh, I hope uh, <laughs> all the best to you. Uh, and uh, thanks again for doing this. Thank you, Bill. And thanks so much for all you do for all of us in, you know, Canadian TV. We, it doesn't allow these shows don't get, you know, the attention or respect they deserve oftentimes, often overshadowed by Americans. But I mean, you've been shining a light on these things for so long and uh, you're such a good booster and supporter of everything. And it's really important, the stuff you do. So on behalf of all of us, I don't think <laughs> it's said enough. I just want to thank you for, for all you do, buddy. Thanks very much. It's my pleasure. I love it. Love watching it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of Canadians feel the same way. So thanks again. There's a time you got to go and show you grow. And now you know about the facts of life. Well, that's it for this episode of Brio TV, the podcast. Please follow and subscribe for all the info on future episodes. And reviews really help spread the word as well. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. This is Gardner Westbound speaking. Thanks for listening. When you're